Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's very special episode of Zach on Film. Joining us, like always, Steven Schleicher. Hey, Zach. Joining us, like for the last couple of weeks, Rodrigo Lopez. That's me. And joining us since I don't remember when, Matthew Peterson. We brought the band back together. Yeah, the boys are back for the pod uh, for a very special recording. Uh, I think talking about one of possibly what, Stephen, one of the top five best rated sci-fi films of all time, The Black Hole. Oh, uh, sure. I suppose <laughs> one person might call it that, but uh, I think the, the, the other 66 million people on this planet would probably disagree. Oh, uh, why you got to bust Since balls? Since we've been doing this show, I have heard time and time again, uh, post-recording, Matthew going, hey, when are we going to do the black hole? Like, we should totally do the black hole, right? It's the greatest thing since Star Wars. Since Life's Wheels. And yeah. now is the day that we talk about the black hole. Interesting thing you, you mentioned Star Wars, Zach. <laughs> Interesting. What, what was that that you were saying before the, the show began? <laughs> oh, well, Steven, I said that in confidence. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, so the black hole came in 1979. Right. Star Wars came out in 1977. Right. Um, a couple of other pretty influential sci-fi films came out in the 60s, and a, a very influential sci-fi television show came out in the 60s. Uh, and then we have the black hole. Which I, I felt is a, is a amalgam of uh, about four or three three properties in my mind. I'm sure there's more. And then not done quite as well. But I will say this. I will say this. I was entertained throughout this entire movie. So the interesting yeah. thing about The Black Hole is it really feels, when you're thinking about 79, the transition between 79 and 80, and the craziness that was going on at the time, it almost felt like when you watch this movie, that the Disney executives were like, man, we can only use Bill Cosby in so many movies, and oh, uh, uh, you know, so-and-so can only be used this often, and man, wouldn't it be great if we could break out of our cartoon shell and do something besides Escape from Witch Mountain? Hey, that Star Wars is real popular with the kids. How about we try something like that? Any of you guys know anything about the Star Wars? Uh, It's got space, and it's got, like, robots and stuff. Yeah, yeah, let's put that in a movie. Okay, go. That's how I feel like this movie got the green light. That's almost exactly certainly how it got the green light. <laughs> it was the Star Wars money was suddenly there because, I mean, after really Star Trek went down in 69 or 70, they kind of got away from the science fiction stuff and they started getting into, you know, weird, bizarre sort of science fiction fantasy melange stuff. And you get your Planet of the Apes and you got your your uh, Logan's runs and things that aren't specifically your space opera in space with an opera. And then star Wars came around and everybody went, Holy carp. Look at this big science fiction money that people are starting to spend because you'll note that the same year, the same month, I think that the black hole came out, we got star Trek, the motionless yeah. picture. Yeah. Star Trek, the motion Which picture came out that same, same year. And I, yeah. And the same month, movie. same month. And it also a lot of problems with uh, star Trek, the motion picture, a lot of it because it's like, Hey, people want space. 
let's show them lots and lots of space. Specifically, let's show a 20-minute sequence of just flying around the Enterprise because people haven't seen it in 20 years because that's right. what people we, want. But we've got, we've got movie effects because you remember Star Wars is full of all those spaceship shots and they like they invented new camera techniques and new camera equipment so that Lucas could do the X-Wing battles and the whole thing with the Millennium Falcon and all the fighty-fighty and the Death Star and the blabbity-blibbity-blue. And people are like, okay, that must be what they want. Let's show the spaceships and the space and all the spacey space. And this is a much better movie than Star Trek The Motionless Picture. So the interesting thing, it's interesting that you mentioned um, ILM and the fact that they had created all this uh, motion control stuff. Because Disney actually wanted to rent a lot of the equipment that was used in Star Wars for uh, the black hole. But it was being used for... Uh, was it Empire Strikes Empire, Back yeah. at the time? And so none of that stuff was accessible. So Disney, which is one of the nice things about Disney, is they're always um, trying to pioneer a bunch of new things. I mean, when we look at uh, compositing with uh, in the early days before green screen became really, uh, really popular and used, if you look at the uh, Mary Poppins movie, for example, they used this sodium vapor pass uh, filter uh, uh, process so that they could separate the foreground from the background and all these cool things. And so Disney, what they had to do for this is they had to create the automated camera effects system, which is essentially a motion control system uh, that allowed them to incorporate matte paintings with their motion control stuff, something that uh, ILM had not used in mm. Star Wars. So, I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thing when we when we talk about that. Um, and the opening sequence of the movie has, I think, at the time, it was the longest computer generated shot um, yes. in motion picture history. And that's cool. I mean, what it, was the it, opening shot again? The, the opening uh, shot where they had the wireframe. Oh, for all the credits and stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. I was like, well, there's like a big ship that I missed or something, but no, okay. Lasers. Right. Lasers. Because everything's being done with lasers these days. It's 1979. That's what I'm saying. We are, like, like, it's what I said. We are transitioning from 1979 to 1980. We are right on that, we're still in that middle of the transition of... Disco is just about dead and everything that goes with it. It was, I mean, from a pop culture standpoint, when you look at that, when you look at stuff that came out in 79 and you look at stuff that came out in 1980, there's a huge shift in how things look. And I've talked about this before when we look at uh, movies like uh, Star Wars, how it has a very 70s kind of feel to the film. Yet when you look at Empire Strikes Back, it looks slick and Star Wars looks grungy. And that's that's this transition that happens right about this time as we start to incorporate more computer, more digital, well, more computer technology into uh, film production. And you can really see it in here because uh, there are many scenes where outside of the spaceship, uh, once they are on once they're on the Cygnus, that Mm -hmm. you see the black hole spinning in the background and you can tell kind of where the transition happens between the um, between the matte painting and the animated effect you can see that transition but they make it work and it kind of you can kind of tell that we're trying to make a transition in special effects here yet all the while the uh the captain's uh, quarters are decked out in a renaissance period uh gold leaf (laughs) chandeliers and tables and and all of that stuff you know why that is because he's a mad villain (laughs) <laughs> well, no, this, this is no, because they're trying to do realized in recent years, 20,000 leagues movie, under the sea. This movie is 20,000 leagues under the sea yeah. done in space. Yeah. 
And they they took an awful lot of uh, Captain Nemo and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and just translated it into outer space. And then mm -hmm. the thing that really fascinates me, and I think the thing that makes this movie imminently watchable for me, is the fact that they stuck so much imagery for no reason. Oh, uh, yeah. Specifically, the religious imagery where the, the ship looks like a cathedral and you see the big panning shots of their screens and they look like stained glass windows and all the humanoids look like monks walking around and all of this is in there. And, you know, when you're eight, as I was when I saw this, this is some deep philosophical bull stuff, boys. This is, I mean, this is the deep chiz. This is the real <laughs> stuff. And you think, you try and figure out how, how do you take Captain Nemo and then some robots and all of this quasi religious claptrap and wrap it all up and put it all together into a big Chinese dumpling. And it's fascinating to see these thought processes in play where you've, you've clearly got one group going, we've written this script and it's filled with symbolism, but we don't really have a plot. Well, that's great. We're Disney. We have this plot sitting around. Okay. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let's, let's make some, some visual shots that no one's ever seen before and throw that in there too. Okay. What do we do for the end? Oh, we got no ending. Okay. Well, we'll just make it up as we go along. <laughs> it really is wonderful to me to watch part of this movie just being this giant glued together pirate right. ninja zombie robot. Yeah. So, just a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing or, or I, I don't want to say they don't know what they're doing, but it just feels like, Hey, we're out of touch. We don't know what we're doing. So let's right. fake it. And this is what you came <laughs> up with. Yeah, They're not pulling in the same direction. <laughs> yeah. No, I like what guys, you said. That it, it's. I agree with you, Matthew. It does feel, when you're watching this movie, that there are three different productions going on. One that wants to go pure on sci-fi with uh, space robots and shoot-em-ups, the religious aspect, and then another people that are like, hey, remember how much money we made off 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Wouldn't yeah. this make a great ride at Disneyland? Yes. So the people who did the last 20 minutes of the film with the heaven and the hell are just are not the same people who did the robot pool scene. So He's not the same <laughs> Rodrigo, we've kind of thrown out some <laughs> random plot points throughout the black hole and uh -huh. uh, comparisons to 20,000 leagues and captain Nemo. Should we kind of run down really quick for someone who hasn't watched black hole and is still listening to this podcast? What actually takes place <laughs> in this movie? Sure. Uh, so, and I'll, and I'll, try my best to sort of like point out where things diverge so the, the black hole starts with a very um you know futuristic but you know kind of true to to what we extrapolate to the future like spaceship everybody there's no gravity everybody's kind of floating around and they're like uh looking for new inhabitable planets right it's a crew of um how many there's like, like five, there's captain, five or six captain hotshot mm -hmm. um old old pro sketchy scientist and psychic lady and um, a grizzled newsman yeah who oh, is right. uh, let's get back to characters and what characters are on the ship and why later because i got some problems there <laughs> sure uh and they also have a little tin can robot who's like super cute it's uh, vincent's great um and so they're they encounter this black hole and they see that there's a ship sort of floating just outside of the event horizon of it. They uh, try to dock with it. It's not hailing their calls. They try to dock with it. Um, some problems there, but then they finally get it. And then when they get there, uh, they realize that there is one person aboard and the rest of the ship is uh, manned by robots. Also, this is the ship that the 
psychic lady's dad was assigned to. Mm-hmm. That comes up later. Space um, is big, but not so big that you can't find your dad. Right. As we have seen. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you can't, you just can't get away from dads in movies. Yep. Um, so, uh, this uh, mysterious person uh, offers them hospitality and is like, oh, yeah, you guys can go back, but I'm going to go into this black hole and you guys need to watch me do it so that people will know when I go into this black hole. Um, as it turns out, though, sinister things are afoot. And the crew needs to make an escape before this madman uh, basically kills them all and all and or turns them into human robots. Ah! Ah, Not human robots. Which we now call cyborgs. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) Humanoid robots is what they call them. That uh, there are some fights, daring escapes, a shooting gallery scene. And... uh, (laughs) Some old robots. Eventually, some of the crew makes it. Not all of them. Some sacrifice themselves bravely. Um, And, yeah, some not so bravely. Um, And the crew manages to make it into the black hole. Like, they can't go back to their ship, so they go through the black hole. You know, somebody, you know, somebody drops a tab of acid on the audience. And then when we all come out of it, we see the ship fly out of the black hole. Uh, we and we, I'm sure we'll get into the trip and sort of what what that what happens there as well. But yeah, in a in a very skeletal way, that's the plot of the black hole. The crew does make it all the way through, though. Yes. Why is there a reporter on this on this ship? Okay, so here's <laughs> the deal. The year is 1979, and I loved this movie so very, 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 very much that I bought <laughs> the novelization. Yeah, novelization. I, I had the listen. I I had the 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 record, the the four right? disc set that Disney put out, and I listened to it all the time to the point where, what is it, forty years later, thirty years later, I'm watching this movie and I'm quoting lines from this movie because lines exactly, yeah, because of what was on. On that record. So, you know, I, I have some 1979 nine-year-old respect for this film. Yeah. Uh, Harry is part of the crew because he is actually documenting their journey so that he can send when they get back to earth. And it's never clear whether they're sending it like, cause there's, this is, it starts out. I want to say <laughs> it starts out kind of on the hard science fiction. Because Rodrigo did point out they're 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 pretty serious about their yeah. science fiction. Oh yeah, they're at the beginning. There's no gravity, and they're talking about at one point when the when the hatch blows out, the hatch is actually the hatch where they keep all of their medical supplies. And if that hatch blew, then they could literally die in space of like typhoid or something. So that's why Vincent scurvy. had to go outside. Space to scurvy. Space yeah. scurvy. But that that is the thing that. Again, having read the novelization, sometimes my brain doesn't parse that that's not actually. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of things that are that are probably left on the cutting room floor because this movie actually runs fairly long uh, for what it is. Yeah. And again, maybe way longer than it should have. But it feels like they they cut a bunch of stuff out, including why. And of course, the audience is just meant to uh, accept so much of this stuff, right? Like, um, why is there a reporter on here? Why suddenly is space only uh, space travel only made possible thanks to human to es uh, human to robot ESP communication? <laughs> well, isn't it 
almost a trope at this point of like, why is this person in space? Like this makes right. no sense. Why is this person on this? It's well, like it it's be- like in gravity. Like Sandra Bullock is what an eye doctor or something <laughs> weird. It's like why are you on the International Space Station right. putting in a new lens? Well, because she's an well, eye doctor. Yeah, I get it. It, it, it makes no sense. Okay, Doctor- Space Station one or two. <laughs> one or two. Okay, two. <laughs> Dr. Dr. McRae, who, by the way, is a doctor and I believe a xenobiologist, has a cybernetic implant. See, again, something is, that's not explained. Oh, they just say exactly. ESP, the, right? Right. The cybernetic implant is she is actually there as the the connection to the robot who is technically the avatar slash pilot of the ship. The first words in the remember the first words that we hear in the movie are no. Vincent right right piloting the ship Vincent doing the computer Vincent is basically part of the computer system so, so here's communicate with him here's one thing that I really actually because really it's really so much harder to say this. Siri <laughs> please keep us away from that black hole <laughs> yeah one thing that I really enjoyed about this was how we very kind of slowly discovered that these little robots are actually huge badasses. Yes. Like, oh yeah. One, like, like 99% of all the sharpshooting and like defeating of bad guys and actually, and, and actually coming up with ideas of what to do comes from the robots, like either from information that Bob already has or from Vincent being like, why don't we try this instead? And everybody's like, that's great, Vincent. Let's go. <laughs> Vincent actually, uh, this is the thing that I really love about this. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but if you watch the credits, they do not credit uh, Roddy McDowell, who is the voice of Vincent right. or Slim Pickett's, who right. is the voice of Bob. And I'm not sure if that's an intentional thing or an, just an oversight, but it's fascinating to me because my thought process is they didn't want to destroy the fantasy for the children uh, meaning me in the audience who wanted to believe that Vincent and Bob were actually real. Mm. So you don't say, Oh, this, this, uh, junk robot that we built out of stuff in the back room at ILM is voiced by Roddy McDowell. I could see some dumb Disney executive going, Hey, let's not put their names on the credits. So the kids think the robots are real. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, yeah, just a month before, Kids went to go see a Disney movie with Slim Pickens in it. Kids eh. went and saw Robin Hood playing on TV with Slim Pickens in it. Yeah, but Robin, he was just voicing a bear, wasn't he? <sighs> just you know, voicing a robot. I understand. And that, I think, now keep is in, part Keep of- in mind, too, I don't know about when you went to go see this movie, Matthew, but uh, that Christmas. theaters. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> we saw it once, oh and my gosh. dad, I remember when it was over, my dad was like, well, glad we don't have to see this movie again. Oh, he didn't say, son, no, don't, do, don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> there was at one of the malls, they had a whole thing done up for the black hole. Like, you walk through, like, uh, like it, it was almost like a Christmas tree lane kind of thing. Awesome. Where you would walk through, and they had, like, Vincent and old Bob was there, and uh, Maximilian was there, and the ships were there. I mean, you walk through this whole kind of thing as you were working your way up to Santa Claus. Uh, I don't know. Actually, if, I don't know if my mom still has pictures of that, but I remember in my mind vividly walking through and seeing these these props from the movie and going, "Oh wow, that's really cool." Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see sort of like 
the the fact that the black hole has basically disappeared from all Disney cognizance. Right. Um, and, and has for some time. It's not like Star Wars hit and they're like, poo-poo, the black hole. The black hole kind of hasn't been a thing for a really long time. But that didn't used to be the case. I had like, you know, it's like Disney was everywhere. Like there were little Disney books and it's like, hey, would you like to learn about turtles? And it was like mm-hmm. a Disney book where like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like Scrooge McDuck tells you about turtles, right? Right. <laughs> and and there were... There were um, books that had the robots from the black hole in them. Mm -hmm. And these must have come out in like, you know, 85, 86, maybe. Yeah. So it's like, still it like, it took a while for Disney to be like, wait a minute. Nobody likes this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think Disney knew pretty much right away that, uh, nobody liked this movie because, uh, at a $20 million budget, this was the most expensive film Disney had ever done. Okay. Uh So 20 million in 1979, they had six million dollars on the line for um, printing and advertising for marketing. Right. The movie only made in North America thirty six million, making it the twenty first highest grossing film of nineteen seventy nine. And so, a, but, when you're looking at something that you just spent more money than you have ever spent money on, and it comes right. back as the twenty one twenty first highest grossing film of nineteen seventy nine. I'm going to bet that heads rolled at the studio. <laughs> I mean, th- and you also have to keep in mind that this is kind of a, this is a dark period for Disney. This is, this is before um, uh, Eisner came in and revamped the, the entire studio. This is at a time when uh, you still had the nine old men who were still working in a lot of places in the animation side, but there was a lot of, we don't know what we're doing. Let's just keep churning out the same formula again and again and again at Disney. And while the theme parks are doing fine and some of the merchandising is doing fine, Disney as a whole is really suffering at this point. So to barely make $10 million on a movie that really, really, really hurt the studio overall. And ultimately almost led to the, to the studio being bought up, chopped up into a million pieces and sold off to whoever wanted to buy it. I mean, there was literally people ready to come in, buy the the Disney corporation and then sell off each of the individual theme parks, sell off the animation side, sell off the TV side, sell off the movie side, sell off the distribution (laughs) side piece by piece by piece so that they could get back all of their money. So this is how bad things were going for Disney at the time. And this movie did not help them one bit. Well, you look at the Disney movies of the same period and you're seeing. Oh, no, they're, they're awful. Like, like I said, the devil and Max Devlin yeah. with, with Bill Cosby as the devil. Yeah. Unidentified flying oddball. I can still sing the theme song of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 hot um, lead and cold feet. The apple dumpling gang. Yeah. I mean, the apple dumpling gang. I mean, escape from Witch mountain, all these things. Um, that was probably more in the sixties, but I mean, you knew what you were getting when you went to yeah. see a Disney movie. And I think that was starting to change. And I feel like that this movie should have been that window to an all new Disney. I mean, this was their it, first PG gig. Right. That was the so, other thing that, that really probably hurt this, this film was that PG rating. That, yeah. that it wasn't G that it wasn't G. I mean, every, I mean, when you see Disney, that means family entertainment, you mm-hmm. take your whole family. So my sister who was 12, three, no, she would have been three at the time. <laughs> Two or three. Yeah, probably three. She went to go see this movie, right? Because it's Disney, right? And I remember the theater being packed with a lot of people to see this yeah. movie. And I bet we went on opening weekend is my guess. Um, but this film, had they 
had they not been trying to grasp at trying to get that that sweet, sweet uh, Star Wars money mm-hmm. and just waited, you know, 40 years to buy it outright for mm-hmm. billions of dollars. Um, if they had just waited a couple more years until they really figured out what they wanted to do with their more mature titles, this yeah, film but- probably could have done super, super well because uh, it wasn't until 1984 when Splash came out. That right. that was actually not under the Disney banner. It was under their whole new uh, Touchstone Pictures banner that was right. for PG and up type movies. And then later with what was it? Dick, uh, Dick Tracy. I think that's when they had the Hollywood Pictures thing go out, go out. Um, but this is something that if it didn't have the Disney name on it, had they had a Touchstone Pictures at the time, this right. thing might have. And if they would have really thought about what they were doing with this film. <laughs> because <laughs> that's ultimately the biggest problem. Well, this could have been a really, really good movie. The metaphysical claptrap could have worked. Yeah, so let's and, talk about that, Matthew. Go go in and explain this whole uh, 2001 <laughs> A Space Odyssey sequence at the end. Right. Well, at the, one of the earliest bits in the film, this film is full of religious imagery because the first thing that somebody says, I think Pizer oh, yeah. says mm-hmm. when, he, when he sees it, the black hole... He's like right out of Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually Harry who says that. And they, there are discussions of heaven and hell and the soul. And it's fascinating to me that some of these discussions are had with reference to the robots mm-hmm. seeming to be because the robots are actually the most human people around. You get two kinds of creatures in this film. You get robots who have like fully functional personalities and emotions. Then you got some wooden humans and then you got Maximilian Shell chewing on every bit of scenery but which is interesting because when that big monitor fell on him he should have just been able to chew his way out (laughs) but throughout the film they keep referring to this and reinhardt specifically refers to the black hole as the eye of god and how he's going to travel through and see the mind of god Mm -hmm. so when you get to the end of the film and things get heavily impressionistic um you kind of get this moment where the ship is sucked in. And then we see Dr. Reinhardt, who is our villain spent the whole movie wearing red, you know, militaristic costumes is floating in space. And then he who turned everyone into robots is trapped inside a robot. And then he's standing in what I can only describe as Scavulo hell for about 10, 15, 20 minutes. It feels like an eternity. It feels like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just this long and involved sequence of, and he is in hell. And look, all of these other creatures here, the robots that he has sent are now damned with him. And oh, 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 if only they still had a soul. And then we cut to outer space where for some reason there's an angel. And the angel leads the probe ship with our living crew members out into what may be heaven because they travel through like some stained glass windows and they come out the other side and then they fly off into the sunset and the, the, you know, the music goes, da, 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 interesting, stupid fact. At one point, the script actually had in it that we would end the movie looking at the ceiling of the Sistine chapel. And there would be an angel that was Kate McRae. I'm glad they didn't do that because I said it and I don't know what that means. No, but I mean, so, so, Here's the interesting thing about the the going through the black hole sequence is it is almost I don't want to say exactly, but the elements of that sequence and what they represent, what they do and what the human mind is doing as it's going through. And if they had ended with her at the Sistine Chapel would have been very much like Interstellar. When Mm. he goes through the black hole 
and mm-hmm. he is he is time traveling into the past. He is becoming something else, something different than what he is. Uh, he is communicating with a higher power. Um, mm-hmm. He is being shown shown visions of his life. Uh, it is almost like a heaven hell sequence uh, in yeah. that in that aspect. And if you remember in Interstellar. Uh, all right, all right, all right, is talking with a robot the entire time, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? It's very okay. much like what we he see has with. A name. No, he doesn't. His name is Matthew True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, so, you know, you can see parallels between Interstellar and this movie. Or, and let me throw this in there. Sure, Zach, you've been or, quiet this whole time. Uh, <laughs> or, Matthew <laughs> or, Matthew and I have had a lot of time to think about this. Film. You can say, yeah, sure. Uh, there's parallels between Interstellar, Christopher Nolan's space movie, mm-hmm. and The Black Hole. Mm-hmm. Or that last sequence, you could see a uh, ripoff of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Yeah, which, whichever one you feel like is more appropriate, I'm going to lean towards the ripoff of 2001. <laughs> and you're right. And if you remember 2001: A Space Odyssey, the the biggest complaint was, and especially from a modern day uh, viewing of 2001: A Space Odyssey, is why are we spending, you know, 20 minutes showing this. Uh, lunar module going from a base to the the monument just so we can see people in space floating in space chewing mm-hmm. sandwiches in space we see the same thing in this movie we see the same thing in Star Trek the motion picture where we have to fly around the ship 20 million times so it it's this movie as with many movies suffer from the hey look what we can do syndrome right yeah mm-hmm. look at all these robots and and look at they can have a shoot 'em up gallery why do ro- robots why do, and especially those robots that are in the shooting gallery, they are not humans on the inside. Why no. do they feel a need to compete with one another and practice their shooting skills? Well, if I, if I may go to the novelization. Yes, let's go to the novelization. <laughs> Remember how the Cygnus is an old, old ship. Right. Uh, reputedly, if you read the novelization, I believe the explanation is that years ago when the Cygnus was launched... Uh, cyberneticists believed that robots needed to have outlets for play and, you know, general recreation the same way a human would. And I believe Vincent actually poo-poos it in the novel as silly, but he's like, oh, silly old explanations of things. But it's another thing where we're kind of looking at that. What makes what is the measure of a human? I mean. Those robots in their practice and what we see them do are actually more human than the humanoids who are basically just mindless drones running about. So especially when you see Captain Star have his emotional breakdown and freak out and then basically explode because somebody beat him at pool. So I don't know. It's an interesting moment. It's it doesn't make sense for for one reason to me when they first show up on the ship. You remember how all the weapons are destroyed and Vincent's lasers are taken out? Mm-hmm. They threw this in, and I'm almost certain of this. They put this in to appeal to the happy kid factor. This is the real story and not the the in-story story. And they realized that, oh, well, can you rearm my lasers permanently at the end of that? They realized that in order to do this, they had to turn his weapons back on, then turn them off. And then they went on and they did what they had already gone through and almost certainly i believe they had already shot a scene where he and bob reactivate his lasers permanently so they had to throw in that moment of oh okay these temporary lasers are broken now nudge nudge wink wink no to me yeah there's a there's a lot of continuity errors but i guess rodrigo matthew's uh, discussion about 
Well, in the novelization, it explains this. And certainly the novelizations of movies were a big deal at this time uh, because I still remember that um, the novelization of Back to the Future, the novelization of uh, um, The Last Starfighter, the last uh, novelization of Raiders of the Lost Ark. There are Space Jam. Yeah, yeah, Space Jam. Yes. Uh, There (laughs) are oftentimes in those in those books better in-depth explanations of how things happen. Uh, for example, in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's this really long passage about um, Tot and how how they were able to pull a mold off the burned of his hand to create the headpiece to the Staff of Ra. And in Back to the Future, there's a really long sequence of how Marty got out of detention by using a magnifying glass and a matchbook to set the smoke alarm off so he could get to the to the band concert. Now, in, in uh, support of that, that passage from the book, that was actually shot for the movie, but it was mm-hmm. with Eric Stoltz before they had to go back no. and reshoot everything again. And they decided that when they went back to shoot everything again, that that's, that scene could be taken out completely. Right. But I guess, Rodrigo, the question is, should you have to go to another source material to figure out what the hell is going on in a movie? Well, no, um, I, I think that you shouldn't have to, but, um, most movies and especially, especially science fiction movies, um, the audience tends to go in with a higher suspension of disbelief anyway. Right. So it only really becomes an issue if the movie does like openly contradict itself, like pew, pew, pew. Yeah. All your guns are gone. It's like, Oh no, we wrote this gun scene. How are we going to do it? You know? And it's like, just cause you, they wanted to have that cool scene and this cool scene. And then there's like that difficulty reconciling it. Mm-hmm. Um, novelizations do a couple of things for you. One, they allow you to smooth out, um, continuity problems, um, writing problems, sort of like things ending up in the cutting room floor that are relevant later. Um, it allows you to fill all those gaps in. It also allows you to sort of um, further embellish the narrative to take characters who have, you know, two or three lines in the whole movie and actually give them, you know, time to, to shine, to be something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 a novelization as a companion to to a movie is great but yes if if the only way to explain something that happens in the movie is watching the novelization or the the special um yeah the like, special features the special features you know right. that will like actually explain a, a plot point then you did something wrong well and a movie of this vintage there's an additional factor in that this is you know, at my family's price range before home video existed certainly early enough in home video that it's not going to be an option for you to watch the movie again at home or watch it repeatedly i don't think the novelization gave you the ability to have that movie experience again or yes get Mm -hmm. you know to be a part of that without having to spend your four dollars to go to the movies or you know have parents who could afford home video or well and the And the fact that the the novelizations are just these paperbacks that were often cheaper than a movie ticket or about the same price as a movie ticket, Mm -hmm. um, you know, made it made it worthwhile. And I'll admit, I read a lot of of novelization stuff when I was a kid, because you're absolutely right, Matthew. 
once the movie was out of the theater, the only way to, to experience Karate Kid again was either wait for it to come out on HBO if you could afford HBO or get HBO in your area or get the book. Mm-hmm. Same way with Star yep. Trek The Voyage Home. And I, I read all the novelizations of that. I love that kind of stuff uh, growing well, and, up as a kid. And and one thing you brought up, Stephen, are, were those records. Like mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in the day, Disney used to put out uh, I don't know if it was only Disney, but they used to put out their movies as records. Yeah, no, they had a bunch of different yeah. ones because um, I had, and it, I mean, The Love Bug is <laughs> such a great one if you can ever find that recording. Uh, it's yep. an L, It was an LP of Buddy Hackett essentially narrating The Love right. Bug movie to you, and it is fantastic in how they did it. And then, uh, like I said, I had the Black Hole one. I had a, is either four or six LP, which is like, what, 20 minutes aside or something like that, mm. of uh, um, the Rankin-Bask, uh, The Hobbit, oh, yeah. which was really cool. Yeah. And then, then they followed that up a year later with, like, The Return of the King. So, I, you know, I had all that, and that was my entertainment uh, growing yeah. up as a kid. So, I mean, you really get uh, something out of it, and it adds more. And certainly, in, in terms of those records, Rodrigo, it creates a memory that locks in deep in your psyche because again, I had listened to those records so much between the ages of nine (laughs) and probably 14 or something that, you know, 30 years later, literally I'm sitting here going, Oh, here's where so-and-so is going to say this. And here's this line. And I'm quoting the lines as you see it, including, (laughs) including the, the pauses that Ernest Borgnine throws in when he's talking about, uh, um, Maximilian Schnell as, as, uh, uh, as a madman. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Reinhardt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really crazy how much you remember of those kinds of yeah. things. But I'm trying to remember, I don't think, I don't think that the black hole, I'm trying to think when it came out on VHS or DVD or anything like this. I guess it came out on VHS in 1980. Uh, and that's what I'm well, seeing right know. here. But then I see UK release and it was again in 84. It was released. Then again in 80, and then a Chinese version was released in 87, 89, it got a VHS release. So they've been releasing this on a regular. When we were in college, because I used to rent it. Ah, okay. And there, I was like, how much to buy it? And they're like $97. Yeah. Oh my God. That's well, back in the day, (laughs) I I spent, I spent 90 bucks to get a copy of Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was a kid. And that was like the thing that I. Worked for an entire summer for. I guess I do remember Blu-rays yeah. being like fifty dollars yeah. at one point. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah, it usually it happens. But bucks, I um, didn't have ninety-seven to spend on a movie. If I understand correctly, uh, video like video cassettes were particularly inflated because the the studios believed that it was going to cut. Well, and and it did it that it was going to cut down on theater going viewership. So they were like trying to basically they were additionally inflated to make up for those seats that weren't going to be taken up right so they were particularly expensive because you know it's like when did when did vhs really start kicking in oh in the 1980s like literally 1980 is like a big year for that like so imagine like a hundred bucks in 1980 dollars like paying a hundred bucks for a movie today seems ridiculous imagine back then oh yeah again and i made sure i got my money's worth out of that Raiders of the Lost Ark VHS tape when I got it. Because I watched it nonstop. And if I caught somebody playing it when I wasn't around and came in. and Because I remember going to like church or something. And my uncle and my cousins were over. And I came back from church and they were watching the movie. And I was like, how dare you watch this movie without me? <laughs> I'd already seen it like 50 times. And, but I'd still get angry over that. But um, yeah, 
the other reason why it was so expensive is because it also helped the home rental industry because if it was so expensive, you're not going to go buy it, but you will go spend two or three bucks to go rent it for a weekend or for sure. a day or whatever it was in those days. But right. it looks like as, as hard as the black hole has been to find at times, it looks like it's been out on a regular VHS DVD laser disc release schedule about every four years. Hmm. Wow. And the last oh, one that, was that 2000. I mean, it's up, it's up on iTunes now. If people yeah. want to check it out. I think it's on, it's on Amazon too. Oh, it's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you do want to check it out. And the, the main reason why for is because this is this is one of my formative movies. And if you listen to Zach on film, if you watch Zach on film, you know that a formative movie doesn't have to actually be any good. No, no. A, a formative movie is a movie that's important. And if you really want to know me and I know you do, <laughs> this is this is definitely a movie that I, I recommend to people, not necessarily on, you know, the level of it, you have to watch this. It's an amazing cinematic experience, but more on the level of this is kind of a great dumb flick in a lot of ways. And this is a this is what I call a thinking movie. If I'm sitting here in the house and I'm writing or if I have to think about something or I'm putting something together, I will literally put this movie on in the background as what I call video wallpaper. Mm. And, you know, you, you'll be a little distracted here and there because Vincent will say, there's a meteorite hitting the ship. And you'll be like, <laughs> no, Vincent, it's a meteor. It's only a meteorite when it enters the atmosphere. And you should know that, robot. But Yeah, space science those... makes no sense in this movie. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you know, let's not. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, uh, I can imagine uh, they, Neil deGrasse Tyson going and just tearing oh, this movie to shreds oh, if you want Twitter, to talk to neil, neil deGrasse tyson here's what neil deGrasse tyson says of this movie he's a quote they oh, not only um, got listen quote <laughs> they not only got none of the physics right about falling into a black hole had they gotten it right it would have been a vastly more interesting movie <laughs> you know what that's just <laughs> which is which is uh i mean the, the entire idea that you actually saw the black hole the entire movie like you have to like skip over that entirely because yeah. that makes no sense uh, well, yeah. but what it was, it was I found really interesting cool. about watching this is that it always been pitched as like knockoff Star Wars to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in well, I think one of the very first conversations we had on this podcast was I was I had to watch like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek because mm -hmm. I had never watched it before, and we had a conversation about what is different about a Star Trek movie and a Star Wars movie. I think the black hole feels more, in my totally limited experience of Star Trek, like a Star Trek movie than Star Wars. Oh, well, yeah, because it's more yeah. based in science fiction, and Star yeah, Wars more is, science a, is fiction a fantasy, mo is a fantasy movie. I feel like there was more, like a, while there is some team aspect on Star Wars, it's more like a bunch of like lone wolves uh, yeah. by fake well, group at, together. At this least is like this a movie team. is attempting to use fake science to explain how okay. things are supposed to work. Like, oh, I've got a little garden. No, he has a massive garden that uh, is cleaning the air and mm -hmm. feeding everyone on the ship because how are you going to feed everyone in space? So you have to have that right. sequence where you're running through space jungle. And then, the giant hydroponic garden. Yeah, and then you have the whole thing where the, the meteors are crashing into the ship, which, you know, a, I'm not sure that they really burn that that fast, but, uh, you know, that hard when they're just floating in space. But OK, whatever. Um, <laughs> but then when fire they, meteors. yes, fire meteors. That's right. Yeah. 
Uh, but then when they yeah, crash into the ship, gravitation still works. Uh, the um, <laughs> the structure of the, the ship still works. Uh, Maximilian is still convinced that, or not Max, but um, Reinhardt is convinced that even though they've beaten been beaten by 500 million uh, meteors and the ship is a, a twisted wreck that they can still go into the black hole. And keep in mind, too, that the span of this movie takes place over the course of less than a day, maybe yeah. eight hours. It's a very eventful day. It is like a very, very, eventful. very eventful day. And, you know, they try. They really do try. But as the story goes on, you can see them jettisoning more and more of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, another one of those stories that I keep hearing is the end sequence where they actually climb on the outside of the ship to get in the probe ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, you notice that there is, they do make an attempt to do zero gravity there because Charlie gets thrown off and starts to fly away and Vincent has to go and return him. Right. But supposedly they made uh, EVA suits to go out, but the suits were so bulky and obnoxious that they didn't want to wear them. So they just said, yeah, no they can just walk yeah, out in why space. Not? They can just walk out in the vacuum of space. It's, it's not going to kill Batman could breathe in space. I don't see why they can't. But yeah, it, you know, there's actually a discussion of it in the novelization where <laughs> <laughs> part of uh, part of Reinhardt's special thing actually encircled the ship in an atmosphere of artificial sure. oxygen. You know, yeah, and, sure, sure. You've got to explain that thing. Like, I mean, the uh, Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the novelization of this, is probably going, "How the heck do I do I make any yeah. sense of this?" Ah, oh, crap! I'll just throw in this line. Well, about you know, atmospheric pressure, blah blah blah. For all, there, done. Oh, yeah. For all of the strange some, effects that we from saw, now, some nerd will be talking about this on a podcast. I was surprised we never got a visual of a bubble enclosing the giant ship as his anti gravity field. You know, they make mention of it. And I, when they're initially probing the ship and they go into the dead zone or the no inertia zone and then they get back out into the gravitational field, there is made mention in the movie something about the zone of yep. anti whatever that they yeah. have going the, on. The anti gravity field that he has. Yeah. Which is supposedly pseudoscience, pseudoscience, something, something, dark side, <laughs> allows him to balance his gravity against the pull of the black hole. And since he's right at that point of the event horizon, he's negating the gravity with the gravity well around the Cygnus, which uh, I also want to point out was actually was built in like a 35-foot-long 30, ship. Yeah, it's a beautiful ship. I really dig it. It's, I mean, it really looks it cool. But ship. yeah, it, it um, you can definitely tell the 2001, I mean, the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea influence oh, yeah. just from the moment that that ship lights up and you're like oh look at all the victorian architecture oh sure i mean like rodrigo i was yeah. while most of the effects are kind of that's interesting looking and that's old uh the moment when they were flying over the <laughs> ship and it was all dark and then like the lights came on i seriously was watching and go oh wow that's nice <laughs> i was like it was like uh, it was a pretty cool shot so nice. there, there's a there's a lot of great stuff in here. Some of them are, you know, some of the effects are like, what am I looking at? Right. Like those little <laughs> yeah. flying dots at the shooting gallery. It's like, <laughs> oh, what is this? Um, some of the effects are great because you're like, this is a Disney movie because when somebody gets shot with a laser, the the stuff that flies off of them looks like magic. It looks like pixie dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's pixie it's that same. Yeah. There. It's that same animation, right? It's like, pew, it's like, um, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of great 
both there's a lot of great sort of like practical effects that involve the um the crew like it's the all the anti-gravity stuff is pretty seamless you know the robots are constantly floating around yep um the the mechanics of the actual robots like with their little helmets going up and down and and doing other things mm-hmm. is cool um the, the sets design. are spectacular mm-hmm. like just that the bridge set that just has like all of these um all of these panels and it's like maybe at some point it transitions into a matte painting or whatever um but it's it's seamless you know it's like and you walk in and yeah it looks like this weird cathedral um there's you know there's like it's it's really rough watching this movie in 2017 because at the time it must have seen just sort of like okay or very impressive but looking back on it it's either bad or <laughs> pretty impressive you know it's like there are moments where you're like oh man that's actually really good um but you know it's like the the moment that the captain is fighting with a robot and he's like hitting it but like clearly they don't want him to like hit the (laughs) costume because it'll break it so it's like he's like "Eh, eh, eh," and it doesn't look real like a lot of the fights are just like them standing there like holding their hands forward like and then like lasers you know are are added in in post (laughs) Right, and like, then they have to paint. They have to paint the lasers in a direction that the gun is not pointing, <laughs> so they can right. hit its target. Right, right. I, I mean, there's just it's it's really like watching the 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 black hole is just this exercise, and like you're you're either like ah or like Ugh. you know just like <laughs> constantly. It's like oh, here's this robot. It's like floating around and doing cool things. Oh, it shoots a laser. Ah, yeah. And like you know. <laughs> <laughs> just like constantly they pull off that mask oh it's like that thing's walking around now uh, uh, you know the design of specifically maximilian is one in a million brilliant because he's basically this floating and you know demon red with a carved in scowl swiss army robot but the design of Maximilian, I think, is part of the reason that people talk about this film 40 years later. To a, a slightly lesser degree, and it hurts me to say this because I have, you know, my Vincent action figure literally inches away. The design of Vincent and Bob almost is ingenious in a different way. But when people talk about this movie, the first thing that you're going to hear from them is either, oh, that ship was awesome or Maximilian was scary as hell when I was a kid. You know, when Maximilian came on screen, the first thing I said about that design, mm. I said, why does he have knee boners? Because <laughs> those flaps, are, I thought they were coming straight out from him, and that was very confusing. I'm sure in the novelization they talk about how these were important stabilizers <laughs> to keep him from uh, flipping over. Yeah. Shut up, Zach. <laughs> That's what I said. So, like bottom, knee boners. so bottom line for me is The Black Hole is a movie that tried. I mean, sure. Yep. That's, a, that's a good description. Matthew, do you have a more eloquent description of the black hole? I do. <laughs> it's, it's, I think what it really boils down to is this is, this is a movie that I, I think of as an adolescent movie, not just in terms of appealing to adolescents, but this is a point in Disney's history where they're going through a painful transition and their voice is changing, literally, and they're having some, you know, issues with their 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 skin or their external presentation of things. And this is Disney trying 
to do serious, trying to do hard science fiction, trying to do something above and beyond like nothing you've ever seen before. And maybe not nailing it, maybe not getting it, kind of having a few darts fly off the side of the board and maybe impale Trevor Phillips over there. But it's a film that is memorable, I think, visually. It's memorable in terms of the people in it. And most importantly, 40 years later, Stephen and I can quote this movie chapter and verse. So whether it's successful or not, it's memorable. There are three kinds of people, Mr. Wills. The wills, the won'ts, and the can'ts. The wills achieve everything. The won'ts won't try anything, and the can'ts won't do anything. And that is the reason why I say go watch this movie. Go watch it right now. Watch it during the show. Where I'm going to try and talk Stephen into a bonus tracks. <laughs> no. Matthew or Rodrigo, what are your, your final thoughts on Black Hole? Uh, the Black Hole is a movie that uh, whose biggest detriment is kind of outside of the movie. It is a movie that came out and seemed to really want to cash in on Star Wars, but it has practically nothing in common with Star Wars. It's I was watching this and I was like, this is more this this has more in common with like the Poseidon adventure than it does with Star Wars. This has more in because common with Ernest Borgnine in it. Sure. <laughs> um I mean just right there, one point of comparison. Um <laughs> This is more in common with 2001 A Space Odyssey. This has more in common with Gravity, with Interstellar, with movies like that. Um, but it really seemed like they wanted that. They wanted that money. They wanted that. They wanted to ride that wave. And this was the wrong movie at the wrong time. Um, and it is a little bit of a quilt, you know, and just like all of these patchwork things put together that... Um, you know, are either not hard science fiction enough or too hard at times. Um, but it's not bad. It's it's probably the long, longest and most thoroughly produced episode of The Twilight Zone <laughs> I've ever seen. And I appreciate that. What did you think of this, Zach? So after watching The Black Hole, I think the movie, I think people should go watch this <laughs> like surprisingly i think people should take like the hour and 20 uh hop over to amazon or netflix or right not on netflix amazon or itunes and uh watch the black hole i i think the black hole is a person went in to a vhs store and they're like <laughs> the guy's like he's like i've already checked out 2001 a space odyssey 15 times uh i watched star wars six times in theaters and I never missed an episode of Star Trek. And the guy who behind the counter is Jack Black. And he's like, I got just the movie for you. I'll come back in like three days. And Jack Black and his friend do a sweeted version of all three of those properties together. And uh, they created the black hole. And if that sounds great, then I think you should watch this movie. Because uh, while... I don't necessarily necessarily think it's a good movie. I think it's an entertaining movie and it's not going to bore you to death. And um, especially if you like sci-fi, which I do, which probably gives me like a couple extra bonus points in the black hole side that um, I'm interested in. It. <laughs> uh, and the, the ending is weird and that kind of hooks me on movies. Oh, and uh, speaking of the ending is weird. A lot of people wonder what happened. After they went through the black hole. So many people ask me that on a regular basis. Stephen, what happened after they went through the black hole? 
Well, guess yeah. what, ladies and gentlemen? What? We have the answer for you on the next yeah, Major do. Spoilers podcast, because after this movie came out, there was a planned comic book series uh, from, uh, was it Whitman Comics? Uh, whoever was yeah, doing the, the Disney uh, co- comics at the time. They Whitman, had a Western gold key. They're all the same. Yeah. Not only did they have a, a comic book adaptation of this movie, they actually planned a, a series afterwards that was the sales were not so good. It only went for four issues total. So there were only two issues of what happened <laughs> after they went through the black hole. Yeah. We are going to look at those two issues on the next major spoilers podcast. So next week, everybody. Get over to Majorspoilers.com. Check out the Major Spoilers podcast because we're going to dive into the wackiness that happens when you're on the other side of the universe, parallel universe, the beyond, beyond the black hole. We'll find out. Honestly, that sounds so interesting because I can't imagine that anything actually happens. Like it it must be nothing. They try. Right. Anyways, Beyond the black hole, Zach. <laughs> That's it gonna... explains why three people got in a tiny ship with no bathrooms <laughs> and expected to land somewhere because they're going beyond the black hole, Zach. Right. I, I really, I really hope that just in the first issue of this comic, uh, the lady can turn invisible and the captain can stretch <laughs> and the. The, the, the hot shot turns into a giant powers, rock. But the, yeah. they have to have the robot because fire is too dangerous. Well, Vincent and also Vincent Vincent becomes uh, Herbie, so. Yeah. Hey, you shut your <laughs> mouth. They're the same yeah, thing. it sounds like the best place to end this episode oh. of Zach on Film. Head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting and you can give all of your thoughts and then you can also find that special episode of the Major Spoilers podcast and... Uh, See how the adventure continues in the Black Hole comics. While you're there, click on that Amazon.com link where I'm pretty sure you can buy a DVD, if not a Mm Blu-ray copy, of the Black Hole, and you can enjoy this film all for yourself. It's not going to cost you any extra money when you use that link, but when you do, you faithful spoiler light, a little bit of that purchase money won't go to make Jeff Bezos even more rich it will come to major spoilers to keep uh podcasts like this going strong month after month after month that's right next week zach on zach on film there will be blood paul thomas anderson's 2007 film that you've been dying to see yes we're gonna look at it next week on zach on film see you then everyone This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.